I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. How are ya? I'm doing good. Good. I have had a really fun weekend, (laughs) but not as fun as you because you were a fucking Disney. (laughs) Yeah, so I took a surprise trip to Disney World to hang out with one of my oldest and best friends. Um and we just had a blast it looked like you had a lot of fun and you shared a ton of stuff on the close friends group for patrons on instagram yeah i have this thing about not like i don't love posting pictures about where i am when i'm not going to be home for a long time so i was like let me keep this on the dl but more pictures will be coming soon Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was also a nice little exclusive. Oh, for sure. For For the patrons. All of our close friends on Instagram. What's your favorite park? I, so, um, I think Animal Kingdom is probably my favorite park, just in terms of, like, aesthetics. Mm -hmm. I think it's really pretty. Um, I love, I got to ride Flights of Passage for the first time, which is the new Pandora uh, Avatar ride. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was incredible. <gasps> like you're riding this banshee through Pandora. Yeah. And you like you're sitting on it kind of like you ride a motorcycle, but you can feel it breathing. Oh like you can God. feel the animal breathing underneath you. And like you feel all these different sensations and there's wind blowing in your face. And it was it's kind of like Soren from Epcot, mm-hmm. but better. So I will be talking about this for the rest of my life i think it was so good i always thought it was super weird for adults to be into disney like i definitely felt that until i grew the fuck up (laughs) and went to disney and i was like oh my god this is incredible like the amount of work that goes into these rides the experiences they are all about the experience and what i think is so cool is like I have only really been to Disney as an adult. Mm -hmm. I went once when I was a kid, but I don't remember it. Um, But, like, all the details. Mm -hmm. Exactly. The way, like, the science of it works. And, like, checking out the fireworks and kind of knowing a little bit about all of the engineering that has to go into these things, it makes it really incredible. Oh, my God. The timing, the commitment. Like, it's just the biggest piece of performance art you can imagine. Oh, it absolutely is. It was just so cool. And, of course, we did um, the World Showcase at Epcot. And Mm -hmm. I had an avocado margarita. Of course you did. The most expensive margarita I have ever had in my entire life. How much was it? And it was delicious. It was $17. (laughs) I paid $17 for a plastic cup of margarita. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) That's hilarious. I can see the person in the back being like, one avocado margarita. (laughs) Like a soft serve ice cream machine. (laughs) Well, I did actually watch them put uh, avocado into a blender. So there was at least some real avocado in there. Okay, 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 okay. So it wasn't... totally like the slushy machine okay but definitely a similar vibe i experienced at a casino one time there was legit just the mixer in the little machine and then they were like 
so somebody would be like, oh, I'll have one of the, you know, Blue Lagoon or whatever. And then they'd like put it in a cup and be like, all right, what kind of alcohol do you want? And everybody was like, <laughs> what? And it like wasn't mixed. So then Ooh. they would give you a shot with your large cup of blue Splash. shit. <laughs> huh. And then you had to put it in yourself. It was so sad. Weird. So fucking sad. <laughs> That's not recommended. Really disappointing. Really disappointing. But I'm glad. I'm glad that you did not have that experience. Yeah, me too. Um, me too. With with your margarita, especially for seventeen dollars. Well, and Disney is all about the experience. Like yeah. everything that they do is so intentional, mm-hmm. and like it was just like you feel spoiled just being there. Because mm-hmm. um, you've paid a million dollars <laughs> for your ticket. Yeah. So the tickets, like, are expensive. But the way that my friends and I did it this time was, like, we went to Walmart and grocery shopped, mm-hmm. like, brought all of our own snacks into the park. So really, like, we did it as cost-effective as we could mm-hmm. for still being Disney. Yeah. Um, I think I only went into one gift shop the entire time I was there. Also, mm. which is very unlike me, but it was a good time. And you got me something, and I love it. Thank you. You're so welcome. It's a secret. Yeah. Eventually, we might share photos. Eventually. Maybe. We'll think about it. But you also had an exciting weekend. I did. Dude, I was impulsive for the first time within, like, a full calendar year. What? Maybe and two, because COVID. Yeah. No. Okay. So, I was at dinner with our good friend Boston, and we basically impulsively decided, because Wicked is in town, Uh that we were going to go see Wicked. And so it was like 7 o'clock, and we had run into somebody at the restaurant who was like going to Wicked. And Austin and I were very dressed down. Like, I was in, like, a Halloween hoodie with, like, some ripped jeans, and, like, he had a backwards baseball cap. And um, he's like, okay, so if it's 7.30, we're done with dinner, we will consider it. And then it was like, we were both done and just kind of, like, looked at our phones. And I was, like, looking up prices online. And that's the reason that I didn't get tickets initially, because you and I had talked about going. Yeah. But they were really expensive. So, right. we're like, eh, we'll wait for the next time. So, we drive to the venue. I He opens up the car and, like, barrel rolls out to go to the, <laughs> to the ticket place. I park the car. We meet up. And then... I'm like, you know me, like I have the bladder of a chipmunk. So I'm like, I have to pee before we go in. Otherwise, I will not make it. So he, I turn into the bathroom. And then when I come back out, he's nowhere to be found. And I'm like, where the fuck is Boston? So I'm like, where did he go? And I say this to like the lady who's um, like working there, working there. And also like, as we are going into the venue, Austin's like, hurry up because I know they lock the doors. So I was like, this motherfucker just left me. To fend for yourself. To fend for myself. You and your small bladder. And he did. And he was at the seat. And then I we go I go into the theater and it's just like like the show has like started 30 seconds ago. So I'm like 30 seconds late. I almost made it. Um, but there's just like a sea of of darkness. And I'm like, how will I know where he is? Because he had our tickets. And then we see this like phone like bloop. 
and he like shined a light and I was like, okay, we're good. But it was <laughs> so fun. Like I, it was just like oh, how so cool. last minute, super fun. The show was great. Of course. Kudos. It was the third time I saw it. It was very good. Uh, the alphabet, like alpha, the character playing or the person playing Alphabo was like especially good. Oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm so, so glad you did that. We all need to do with more spontaneous things in our lives. Like I agree. going to Wicked and going to Disney. I have been, now I've been singing Wicked for. Does it take you back to like early years. college days? It does. You know, let me see. So the first time I saw Wicked was in 2006. Okay. So that was like early high school for me. Yeah. I th- and I was obsessed. Like my prime was in early high school and my sister is, is, like four grades older than me mm-hmm. and my very first job was having a newspaper route which Aww. you know do you not know that i think i did know that okay. but i'd forgotten so we would listen to wicked like in the car like throwing newspapers <laughs> um and that's how i fell in love with it that was many moons ago many moon, many many moons ago many many moons and then you and i realized our mutual love for wicked and that's what we would sing on road trips whenever you and i were traveling together oh yeah oh yeah i think i have some videos of us going to the beach oh singing yeah wicked that's exactly phone. what i'm thinking about too um i also ran into somebody today who literally said to me uh, not knowing at all about the podcast but being like you know i don't really like history that much huh. and i was like are you fucking kidding me weird weird right super weird is that not just Do people not strange? like history who could not like history like are you i don't know i just cannot relate i think that there are some people who are like history is all about dates and like if you try and remember all the dates you miss the stories uh, i could see that um so like i could understand maybe not liking history while you were in school because your teachers didn't teach history in a fun way. Mm-hmm. But as an adult, everyone should... Like, there's always something to enjoy about history, right? right? I I mean, I think so, obviously. I think so, too. But that was a very strange thing for me to hear. But really, how did they feel about psychology? I didn't follow up with that. I didn't want to, like, <sighs> throw some red flags and be like, right. let me make this all about okay, me. Okay, that's fair. You know what I mean? Um, but... But you can make it all about me. I would love to make it all about you. Speaking of you, <laughs> what the fuck are we talking about? <laughs> all right, let's get into it. Um, so we know that this is going to be a traumatic episode because we're starting with a kid's story. Oh, no. Today, I'm going to share the story with you of Howard Dully. Okay. Little Howard. No, it's Howie. It's always oh. the wheeze. I know. It's a little Howie. At 12 years old... Howie was one of the youngest people to ever get a lobotomy. Oh, my God. Carrie. (laughs) Okay. Buckle up. We're doing it. Okay. So I found this really interesting NPR um, article. And the reporter interviewed Howard about his journey as an adult to find out answers about his lobotomy. So he received his lobotomy when he was 12 years old, and then no one in his family spoke about it for the next 40 years. Oh, my God. So he spends about two years, like, trying to find doctor's notes and talking to people who knew his parents at the time. This is, like, him as an adult? Yeah, this is him in, like, his uh, 50s. Okay. Mid to late 50s. Um, So a little backstory. Howard's mom died when he was five years old from cancer. His father remarried a woman named Lou, 
And we don't know exactly what happened because the interview is with Howard um, and not Lou. So mm-hmm. we don't know her side of the story. Mm-hmm. I love that name for her, though. Right? It's, really it's cool super name. cute. Yeah. yeah. Um, Howard, who goes by Howard, but we will be calling him Howie because that's how we do names here. <laughs> uh, Howie says that Lou hated him. Quote, I oh. never understood why, but it was clear she'd do anything to get rid of me. Uh-oh. The doctor who lobotomized Howard, um, who we'll get to in a minute, did an interview with Lou Mm -hmm. about why she came to him seeking a lobotomy for Howie. She said she was afraid of her stepson. She described him as defiant and savage. He doesn't react to love or punishment, she said. She then goes on to give the absolute strangest explanation for why she feels this way. Are you ready? This is why this 12-year-old is about to get a lobotomy. Okay. Quote, he objects to going to bed, but then sleeps well. Oh, my God. He does a good deal of daydreaming, but when asked about it, he says, I don't know. He turns the room's lights on when there is broad sunlight outside. Are you fucking kidding me? No, dead serious. Wait, what year is this? 1960. Oh, no, 1960? No, oh, no, 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 1960. Oh, my God. And we're going to talk about why this doctor, like, signed off on a lobotomy and then did it. Mm-hmm. But this is not uncharacteristic of this doctor. So Did he lose his fucking license? We will get to all of it. Okay. Crossing that bridge. So Howard sounds like a kid to me. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe a stepmom issue, but not a kid issue here. No. Um, so apparently Lou comes back a few months later to see and talk to the doctor again. The, the quote I just read and um, the upcoming quote are both from Dr. Freeman's notes himself. Okay. So he's like writing down word for word. So that's where we're getting a lot of this documentation from. In Dr. Freeman's notes from November 30th, 1960, he wrote, quote, Miss Dully came for came in for a talk about Howard. Things have gotten much worse and she can barely endure it. I explained to Miss Dully that the family should consider the possibility of changing Howard's personality by means of transorbital lobotomy. Miss hmm. Dully said it was up to her husband and that I would have to talk with him and make it stick. End quote. Okay, so she's like, convince him. Yep, I'm convinced, I'm sold, Mm -hmm. convince my hubby. On December 16th, 1960, Dr. Freeman performed a transorbital lobotomy on little Howie. Hmm. Two weeks later, Dr. Freeman notes, quote, he sits silently grinning most of the time and offering nothing. Oh my God. Uh. So I guess that was a different personality than what he came in with. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting about this is that Howard says when Lou, his stepmom, realized that the operation didn't turn him into a vegetable, she got him out of the house. He was made a ward of the state. So it sounds uh. like Howard then went on to enter foster care. Oh, my God. So we'll talk a little bit about, like, right after a lobotomy, how it can impact a person's personality versus later. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it sounds like to me is that little Howie got his lobotomy Mm -hmm. and at first was fine. Like he just sat there and kind of grinned and maybe stared vacantly Mm -hmm. for a while. But then like pieces of his personality returned and his mom was like, I still don't want this kid. I wanted him to be docile. Yeah. That was a whole. Yeah. Yeah. Her, Her motivation was obviously elsewhere. Oh, absolutely. So 40 years later. 
Howard finally gets his dad to answer some of his questions about his lobotomy. Up until this point, her, his dad was like, not saying shit. Mm-hmm. So his dad basically blamed Lou for everything and said that she um, manipulated him, quote, pure and simple. Mm. So he says, I was sold a bill of good. She told me and she sold me and Dr. Freeman sold me and I didn't like it. So he didn't take an ounce of responsibility for like signing off on his son Mm -hmm. being lobotomized. Um, Howard did tell the interviewer that it brought him a little bit of closure to at least have his dad admit that it happened. Sure. Yeah. So when I read this, I have a lot of questions. Uh Uh-huh. Because I've heard and seen um, portrayed in media that people who have lobotomies are pretty severely impacted. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like Howard is kind of okay-ish at this point in his life. Like, Mm -hmm. he's able to be interviewed. Yeah. He's able to, like... Communicate. Yeah. Processing. Like, he still has a lot of these pieces. Um, he says he always felt like he was missing something. Quote, I never, I will never know what I lost in those 10 minutes with Dr. Freeman and his ice pick. Oh my God. Oh, this gets graphic. I should have warned you. Um, also mom, if you're listening, go ahead and fast forward to Allie's part. Um, by some miracle, it didn't turn me into a zombie, crush my spirit or kill me, but it did affect me deeply. Freeman's operation was supposed to relieve my my suffering in my case it did just the opposite ever since my lobotomy i felt like a freak and ashamed oh man i know poor baby so let's take this back not to the very beginning but we will get there first let's find out who dr freeman is Mm -hmm. on january 16th 1946 dr walter freeman a psychiatrist performed the first ever transorbital or ice pick lobotomy in his washington dc office to be clear, this was not his first lobotomy, just the first one to use the ice pick. Oh, the, the, uh, I really struggle with like f- understanding how it was discovered and the trial and errors. Like, I could, like my brain runs wild with that thought. Yeah. So I also have the name of the person who discovered it, mm-hmm. um, or not discovered, but like invented it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. Like, the people who are impacted by this, I have numbers for you. Oh, no. Okay. It's bad. Okay. It gets bad. It gets worse than a 12-year-old being oh, lobotomized. Good. Okay. All right. Um, so, Dr. Freeman's first actual lobotomy was performed in 1936. He believed that mental illness was, quote, related to overactive emotions and that by cutting the brain, he could cut away feelings, end quote. Mm. So, remember, this is all associated with mental health. So they're trying to solve mental health problems. And we're going to talk about what might lead a person to getting a lobotomy um, or people deciding that a person needs a lobotomy. But basically, Dr. Freeman was like, we can literally cut out these pieces of the brain and it won't be an issue anymore. Dr. Freeman liked to show off and enjoyed shocking his audiences by performing two-handed lobotomies, which meant hammering ice picks into both (gasps) eyes at once. In 1952, he performed 228 lobotomies in a two-week period in West Virginia. God. At that point, he lobotomized 25 women in a single day. In his career, he performed somewhere between uh, 2,500 and 3,500 operations in 23 states. 
and he lobotomized 19 children. Oh, fuck. The youngest one was four. No way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have to nervous laugh about it. I'm so sorry. It's, wow. It's getting worse, by the way. Okay. We have not hit the worst yet. Okay. Okay. At a conference in 1948, he performed before an audience. See, fuck you. Okay. Right. Of more than two dozen neurosurgeons, neurologists, and psychiatrists. He was trying to perfect his assembly line approach to lobotomies. Oh, good. So that they could be performed quickly and easily. Now, this part is a little graphic. So, uh, for those of you who need to, feel free to fast forward 10 to 20 seconds. Freeman used shocks from an electroconvulsive therapy machine to render his patients unconscious. He inserted an ice pick beneath the eyelid until it rested on the bony structure of the orbit mm-hmm. or like yeah yeah the bone yeah tapped it with a hammer to break through the bone <gasps> and severed portions of the frontal lobe using a sweeping motion with the ice pick. The instrument was then withdrawn and done in the other eye. He boasted that it was so simple that he could, quote, teach any damned fool, even a psychiatrist, to perform it in under 20 minutes or so. Wow. February of 1967. So let's think about that because our parents were born. Yeah, that's and like young. not long ago at all. Yeah. Dr. Walter Friedman performed his final ice pick lobotomy on a housewife named Helen Mortensen. She died of a brain hemorrhage, and his career was finally over. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, no shit. He died of cancer in 1972. Good. (laughs) That was exactly my thought. Okay, so let's take it back a little bit further and give you more history about lobotomy. So we started in the 1960s. We've taken it back to the 1940s. Now we're going back to the 1930s. Okay. Uh, Lobotomy, or sometimes called a leucotomy was a form of psychosurgery performed as a treatment for mental disorders. It involves severing connections to and from the prefrontal cortex in the anterior part of the frontal lobes of the brain. The procedure was always controversial because of the wide variation in outcomes and serious side effects, but people did it anyways. Wow. Of course there's variations in outcomes. That makes total sense. You're jamming something into a person's brain. Yeah, and just sweep it, like sweeping motions? Yeah. That's like eyeshadow technique. That's not like, (laughs) I don't know. It's not a lobotomy technique. No. The procedure was invented in 1935 by a Portuguese neurologist named Igas uh, Moniz, Mm -hmm. who later received the Nobel Prize (gasps) in Medicine in the 1940s. Wow. He believed that patients with obsessive behavior were suffering from fixed circuits in the brain. So he decided to sever the connecting fibers of the neurons by doing a lobotomy. Mm -hmm. Or I think at this point they were still calling it a a leucotomy. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, quick gore. So fast forward if needed. His procedure developed and changed over his years of practicing But the original method involved drilling a pair of holes into the skull, either at the side or top of the head, and pumping alcohol into the prefrontal cortex. Okay. uh, Thus destroying the brain tissue. Later, he developed an instrument of his own design called a leukotome, which he would insert into the brain. So 
the alcohol thing did not last long. Then he kind of developed this pointy thing. Okay. The surgeon would sweep it from side to side and cut the connections between the frontal lobes and the rest of the brain, and in some instances, remove chunks of tissue from the frontal lobes. Mm. Well, yeah. I, yeah. 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 It all sucks. Yeah, for sure. The transorbital or ice pick lobotomy, which we know was developed by Walter Freeman and his partner, neurosurgeon James Watts, became popular because it was faster, more effective, and required fewer resources and tools. But why was it so popular? So Dr. Elliot Valenstein wrote a book about the history of lobotomies called Great and Desperate Cures. Valenstein said that lobotomies, quote, spread like wildfire because there were no other good alternatives. Drugs to treat mental illness weren't introduced until the 1950s in the U.S., and psychiatric institutions were overcrowded. Mm. Newspapers were also like contributing to why lobotomies were so popular, saying that it was easier than curing a toothache. Oh, no. I know. One neurosurgeon recalled, when I visited mental hospitals, I saw straitjackets, padded cells, and it was apparent that some of the patients were, I'm sorry to say, subjected to physical violence. The chance to cure somebody through a lobotomy seemed preferable to a life sentence of incarceration in an institution. Mm. So to some extent, I kind of get it. Yeah. Like, I get that they're searching for a cure. I hate that this is what they came up with. Um, But without medication and without any understanding of mental illness and mental health. Yeah, there was nothing. Exactly. Exactly. And there was no funding for anything either so is this and and i know we touched on uh electroshock therapy but Mm -hmm. is this kind of all the same time period that's a great question i'm gonna say yes okay i couldn't remember yeah because um i mean they were using some form of electric shock therapy way before this Mm -hmm. but dr freeman uses ect to um like knock out his patients well and i didn't realize also that they were unconscious during the procedure Mm -hmm. which uh does give me some slight comfort to know that they weren't awake i got bad news for you no carrie ann watkins real bad news for you hold on to that thought okay we'll come back to it okay okay so mostly lobotomies were performed on people with severe conditions major depressive disorder with suicidal ideation, obsessive compulsive disorder, and schizophrenia. However, Freeman eventually began promoting the lobotomy as a cure for everything, from serious mental illness to nervous indigestion. Oh, I have nervous indigestion. I think most people do as adults. Uh, uh. Yeah, so he would have recommended a lobotomy for your nervous indigestion. No. uh. Let's talk side effects. Okay. Um... So we know that side effects really ranged from people being practically catatonic to death all the way to um, really no major change, depending on how the procedure was performed. Sure. Some of the more common side effects included increased body temperature, abnormal sensations of hunger, vomiting, bladder and bowel incontinence, eye problems. Yeah. Feels like an obvious one. Okay. Apathy and lethargy. A small percentage of people supposedly did show improved mental conditions or no change at all. 
Okay. So we'd call them lucky, I guess. I guess. Um, but many had these negative effects on their personality, empathy, and ability to function on their own. In some ways, this was also rooted in control and trying to gain control of an unruly person, mm-hmm. as we saw in Howard's story. I see that. The procedure was popular for about two decades, so starting in the 1930s, mid-1930s, and going to the mid-1950s. During that time, almost uh, 20,000 lobotomies had been performed in the U.S. and more in the U.K., where it was even more popular. The majority of lobotomies in the U.S. were performed on women, um, which was about 60%. In the U.K., it was close to, I think, to 72 or 75%. Oh, wow. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Not surprised. No. Still shocking. Yes. So... I'm going to share with you four quick notable lobotomies and uh, or stories associated with lobotomies. Okay. The first one is probably not someone you've ever heard of. Her name is Al- Alice Hood Hammett, and this was the first lobotomy performed in the U.S. Okay. She said at first she was happy, but about six days after the operation, she experienced transient language difficulties, disorientation, and agitation. Nevertheless, Dr. Freeman, who performed her lobotomy, called it a success. Mm-hmm. So she was happy for about six days. Wow. And then she was just irritated. All the time. Oh, man. Yeah. This one you might know. Uh, Rosemary Kennedy, who is the sister of John, Fr- John F. Kennedy. Oh, wow. No, I, did, I, did, I had no idea. I actually didn't either. But you're the history buff here, not me. Oh, well, I don't know everything. Um, so apparently Rosemary Kennedy had some mild developmental delays and then pretty violent seizures and temper tantrums. Okay. So fearing that her behavior would quote, create a bad represent or would quote, create a bad reputation for herself and the whole family. Her father arranged a lobotomy for her when she was 23 years old. Oh, wow. The entire procedure, prepare your heart for this. The entire procedure, she was said to have been awake. <gasps> no. Uh. Speaking with the doctors and reciting poems to nurses. Quote, the doctors knew the procedure was over when she stopped speaking. Wow. Following the procedure, she became severely disabled and was unable to function independently. She was then institutionalized for the remainder of her life. Oh, my God. That's so sad. I know. We can't forget one of the most iconic portrayals of a lobotomy, which is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. Randall Patrick McMurphy was a violent but sane man who declares himself insane to avoid a prison sentence. He's given he is given a lobotomy that leaves him mute, unresponsive, and vacant-eyed. Most recently, the new TV show that came out in 2020, Ratchet with Sarah Paulson, is also based on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and the back is the origin story of Nurse Ratchet. And it depicts transorbital lobotomies in a very gruesome way. Fascinating to watch, but super disturbing. Mm-hmm. So that is a little bit about lobotomies and all of the horrible things that Dr. Freeman and many others did to their patients to try and cure their mental health. Wow. Have you seen Sucker Punch? Oh my gosh, I'd forgotten about it, but yeah, I have. That is my piece of media that I associate with lobotomies. I didn't even think about that one. That's mm-hmm. a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that one, it's a girl. Mm-hmm. And she's in like this imaginative world. 
Like, remind me what it's about. So she ends up accidentally shooting her sister while attempting to shoot her stepfather, who is a piece of garbage. Okay. And she is institutionalized and is scheduled to receive a lobotomy in five days. So the um, place that she is being held in is basically like a human trafficking place so when she's in certain situations she like has these out-of-body experiences um she's like a dancer and so like when she's on stage like her brain goes other places um and so there's like an alternative like side to the film it's just like a fantasy aspect and she has to do she has to get like four or five different like objects in order to escape So one is a map, one is a key, one is fire. Um, And so it's just about her, like, and and the girls that she's in there with trying to escape. Oh, fascinating. mm -hmm. I'll have to go back and rewatch that one. I haven't seen it in years. It's good. Also very disturbing elements, for sure. Well, I mean, when we're talking about people poking ice picks into people's brains. Exactly. I don't think you can do it in a way that's not disturbing. Also, the guy who does the lobotomy is like Don Draper from Mad Men. Oh, uh uh-huh. Who's also just like a really likable and very talented actor. Um, Yeah, that sucks. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, super disturbing. Oh, absolutely. But very fast. I was wondering when you were going to get to this. Yeah, so lobotomies, I think, has been on my list since you and I first started about even doing a podcast. Mm -hmm. um, Just because... They feel so archaic, but yeah. they're not. Like, right. it wasn't that long ago. Um, and I do understand, like, trying to make progress and and being um, kind of science projecty about it. Yeah. Um, but it's very, it's really unfortunate the the side effects. Like, even knowing it now, you're like, that can't be. I know that can't be good. Well, and doing it on a four year old and a twelve year old, oh, yeah. like. Kids. And even the 23-year-old who's, like, a fucking adult. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. None of it's good. Um, and I'm so glad that we now have advances in medicine that allow people to treat mental illness mm-hmm. without having to be institutionalized, even. Absolutely. Because a lot of the people who were given lobotomies were institutionalized. Yeah. Um, because they were really unruly, quote-unquote unruly, and people needed to, you know, have some type of control over them Mm -hmm. so wow yeah so i figured i'd pick an upper for us today i'm glad i actually have an upper so oh good (laughs) let's take a quick break and when we come back we are talking about dinosaurs oh fun and we're back all right so for my portion i'm gonna be opening some champagne oh because we haven't done that on air in quite some time this one is a twist off though oh no satisfying pop nope no pop that's okay it still tastes good okay i like it when we go back to our roots a little asmr all right So, the word dinosaur 
<laughs> Let's just jump right into it. Why don't we? Comes from the Greek word dinos, which means both terrible and fearfully great. Oh. So isn't that cool? That's so much both fun. relatable. And soros, which means reptile or lizard. So in 1842, Richard Owen, an English anatomist, termed the word dinosaurus. This included, at the time, three giant extinct animals. Megalosaurs. All of these I'm going to pronounce really fucking terribly, by the way. I cannot wait. Agonodon and Hylosaurus. Nailed it. He had discovered large fossilized bones in southern England during the early 19th century. He saw that these reptiles were different. They were large. And upon closer inspection, he realized that they had three extra vertebrae on each of their hips. So they had five versus two of the normal reptile. Huh. He also noticed that unlike ordinary reptiles whose arms extend out to the sides, these animals had their arms and legs directly underneath them. So think of like a dog yeah, or an yeah. animal. I mean, an elephant. Big head and little arms. Big head and little arms. Um, I wonder, like, I understand some of why we think that they were lizards or reptiles. Mm-hmm. But what year was this? This was 1842. Okay, so in the 1840s, why would he have assumed that it was a reptile and not like a big dog or a cat if the joints and bone structures were more like a dog or a cat? Because, well, they were more like reptiles, except that their joints were different. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. I guess I just don't know enough about animal anatomy to be like, that's definitely a lizard bone versus a cat bone. So think about dinosaurs. They have large, like, think of like a traditional dinosaur. They're very like bottom heavy, and then they kind of extend upward a lot of times. Uh Uh-huh. For any that are like land... Right. Dinosaurs. Right. And we're going to kind of cross the bridge where we'll get into some of the different kinds of body shapes. Cool. Kind of pear hourglass. <laughs> Got an apple figure. Mm-hmm. Apple bottom jeans. Boots with the fur. So originally the term dinosaur only covered a small group because at the time they were like discovering them as, as they came from the ground. But it now encompasses over 800 generic names and at least a thousand species many of these included in those numbers are based on partial bone discoveries so they might have part of of an animal not the whole thing mm-hmm. um so a lot of that is like room to be interpreted um but what we have documentation of today is thought to only be about 10 to 25 percent of the diversity of the prehistoric population. 10 to 25%? Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Is that not wild? It's so cool to think all the things that we don't know yet. We don't know shit. <laughs> we know more about outer space than we do the ocean. And that just blows me away. That's a good point. Like, it's not surprising that we also have no, sh- no clue about prehistoric life. Yeah. Oh, I'm about to I mean, you, you have a clue. Some. Tell me a little <laughs> well, something. Okay, so, quote, paleontologists are like detectives who examine the evidence that extinct animals left behind. 
Those clues to what dinosaurs were like are found in fossils, the ancient remains of organisms such as teeth, bone, or shell, or evidence of animal activity such as footprints and trackways, end quote. So finding so many fossilized bones and fossils, teeth, all of those things in general is proof that dinosaurs were the dominant life form of the time. It's estimated that the remains that we have represent only 0.0001% of individual dinosaurs that once lived. Wow. That's so cool. And we know so much about them based on the teeth and bones they left behind. Quote, the thoropod or dinosaurs classified with hollow bones and three-toed limbs, such as the Tyrannosaurus, had teeth that were pointed, slightly curved backwards, and serrated. The sharp points pierced the meat, and the serrations helped slide it by catching and tearing muscle fibers. Meat eaters didn't chop or grind their food. They swallowed chunks whole. Plant-eating dinosaurs had teeth of various shapes designed for their particular diets. Triceratops, for example, had hundreds of teeth that formed a solid wall with sharp ridges. The teeth were used to chop off vegetation. Other plant eaters, such as Anatotin, mm-hmm, Mm -hmm. Um, had wide, flat teeth that they used to grind up tough vegetation. The long-necked dinosaurs, such as Diplodux, had... I'm just going to go with it. You nailed it. Had long, pencil-like teeth that they used to rake the leaves of branches. Is that what Littlefoot was? No. Okay. Do we know what Littlefoot was? Kind of. Okay. I think. Who's hanging out with Sarah the Triceratops? So we will kind of perfect cross that bridge. So these dinosaurs swallowed the leaves whole. They also ingested small stones, um, but most likely ground up the food in their stomachs, much the same way modern birds, such as parakeets and chickens, do today. Okay. So I've actually heard that there is a lot of research to suggest that many dinosaurs that we thought were reptiles are more closely related to chickens, Mm -hmm. which is just the weirdest thing. Like, chickens are so small, they have no brains. So it's important to note that all of the the animals that we uh, know today that are still, like, dinosaur, like, have dinosaur ancestry, they all come from eggs, um, and that's kind of the general theme. That checks out. Mm Mm-hmm. The earliest published record of dinosaur remains discovered was in 1820 in the American Journal of Science and Arts by Nathan Smith. Described in the book, two years earlier, a man who was digging a well on his land in Connecticut came across bones that he thought were human. Later, they were identified as Ankosaurus. Ankosaurus is a smaller dinosaur. It measures about six and a half feet and weighs about 60 pounds. Oh, cute. There's also a larger version, which is between eight and 30, I mean, eight and 13 feet and about 70 pounds. Why are they so light? Are they like the hollow bones? Yeah, I mean, they're tiny. They're like, oh, cute. 
cute. Think about like a bunch of rats running around with long necks. Yeah, but I'm just imagining like something that big weighing. Yeah, an, they're like lean. an elementary school like child. Like a giant chihuahua. Got it. No. It's like a tiny dinosaur. Just think of it that way. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> the tiny dinosaur is like a tiny dinosaur. Exactly. It is, I am what I am. So dinosaurs existed during the Mesozoic era. This is the age of the dinosaur. The Mesozoic, 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 Mesozoic. Yeah, it is. Mesozoic era is divided into three time periods. The Triassic, not Jurassic, Triassic. Got it. The Jurassic mm-hmm. and the Cretaceous periods. Dinosaurs species lived at various times throughout this era. For example, the Stegosaurus lived during the Jurassic period and had been extinct for 80 million years before our, ra- our friend the Tyrannosaurus appeared. In fact, the length of time between these two dinosaurs is greater than the time separating the Tyrannosaurus from us. I cannot begin to fathom yeah. that kind of time difference. It's, it's a long time. For example, we're going to start with the Jurassic period, which was 251 million to 199 million years ago. I have no frame of reference I know. for being able to conceptualize that amount of time. It's a, a long, long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Once upon a time. Yeah. So, during the Jurassic period, the landmass on Earth was all connected during this time, and it was one large piece called Pangea. I've heard. I'm familiar. (laughs) You've heard of her? I've heard of her. So, Pangea was shaped like a C and straddled the equator, and it extended up into both hemispheres towards both the North and the South Pole. As time went on, the tectonic plates slowly started to move the, the, the mass of land, um, and it started separating species based on that. So the land that was extending to the north was referred to as Laurasia, and to the south was Gadwana. During this time in the ocean, there was a lot of shelled animals like mollusks and sea urchins. The very first corals had started to evolve during this time. Mm -hmm. There were massive reptiles eating fish and ancient squid. And at the very bottom of the food chain was a microscopic plant named phyloplankton. And those organisms still exist in our oceans today. How cool. I know. Frogs, crocodiles, turtles, snakes, they all existed. Not necessarily in harmony, but all together. Right. They still um, don't necessarily exist in harmony, but that's a good point. they're still all together. A dinosaur called uh, pterosaurs was a group of flying reptiles, which sounds the like worst. Mother of dragons-ish. <laughs> yeah. Those are the Khaleesi's. <laughs> um, gra- Allow me to be a Targaryen. <laughs> yeah. Grasshoppers were also appearing during this time. Spiders, millipedes, centipedes, even scorpions. And I'm sure cockroaches, because they have survived everything. You know, I, ne- I didn't read anything about cockroaches. I feel like they were there, because... They, they would have had to have been. Yeah. They're around, like, the centipede kind of thing. 
Yeah, for that sure. That makes total sense. I'm going to go ahead and say it's fact. You heard it here first, folks. During the later part of the Jurassic period, about 230 million years ago, mammals also came onto the scene. So one of the earliest manimal, mammals, mammals <laughs> was called Ezostrodon. Ezostrodon. It was uh, kind of like a shrew, uh, but it was three feet long. Um, and it laid eggs, but it also breastfed its babies. It was like a what? A shrew. I'm thinking of Taming of a Shrew from, like, Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. What is a shrew? It's like a rodent-y, like, teethy. Oh, 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 okay. <coughs> kind of, like, molish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I know exactly. Okay, sorry. I got so stuck on Shakespeare that I couldn't figure out. <laughs> of course you did. What it would be. Among the first dinosaurs was the Colophysis, which was carnivorous and up to nine feet tall, weighing about 100 pounds. Um, And it probably fed on small reptiles and amphibians. A few million years later, the first herbivore, Platosaurus, arrived and came in about 27 and a half feet long. She thick. Oh, she a thick bitch. (laughs) It's important to note that at the end of each of these eras was a big life world changing event. It could have been a volcanic explosion. It could have been an asteroid. It could have been something, but it caused a lot of large mass extinctions. um, And dinosaurs were moving from one period to the next. So they were surviving. So dinosaurs did move on to the Jurassic period. And the Jurassic period was from 199 million years ago to 145 million years ago. And at the time, Pangaea continued to drift apart. The northern portion began to break off into North America and Eurasia. And Gondwana, which is the south end, didn't break up until the mid-Jurassic period. So it it stayed, which makes sense because the land masses are much larger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so oceans begin to form in places between these land masses, and the plates were shifting and causing mountains to rise in the oceans, which caused sea levels to rise on land mm-hmm. or in the ocean. Yeah, there's a great uh, magic, magic school bus episode oh. that's about mountains and volcanoes under the ocean oh. and like being pulled up. So it was either Maui or Miss Frizzle who helped make that happen. You heard it here first. The water created um, like a tropical feel um, and a plant called cycads, which was like a palm tree kind of thing. They were everywhere. Um, There was also like ferns and it was just like a very tropical vibe. The oceans were filled with long-necked and paddle-finned plesiosaurs and giant marine crocodiles, sharks, and stingrays. There were fish-like creatures called Ichthyosaurus and cephalopods, which were like squids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The coral reefs grew, and so did the sponges. <laughs> SpongeBob, this was like, he was like... <laughs> this was his prime. This was his time. Yeah, yeah. Um, also his snails best and life. Mollusks. Yeah, for sure. Not that I mean, like Gary, he's got all his little friends. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think Squidward walks like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
There was plankton uh, that was like free floating. And what's fascinating is that they think that that kind of plankton would have caused the water to be red. Oh, isn't that creepy? Like the Red Sea. Like the Red Sea. Maybe that's what made it red with the plankton. (gasps) I need to do more research on that. Mm -hmm. I I really don't know why it's called that, but it could be. You absolutely should do more research on that. We can do a whole episode on it. We totally could. Because history is fascinating. Sorry to the guy who didn't get it. I thank you. It was a hard time for me. (laughs) So we just need to turn him on to this episode specifically. So meanwhile, on land, dinosaurs were getting to be huge. There were um, herbivores called uh, Brachiosaurus, which stood to up to 52 feet tall and weighed more than 80 tons. Diplodocus was also like 90 feet long. Damn. I know. There was uh, a meat-eating dinosaur called Allosaurus, which is... Allosaurus. Me. (laughs) um, That walked on two legs. And Stegosauruses also existed during this time. The earliest birds... Hashtag birds aren't real. (laughs) Which was Archaeopteryx. Opteryx. Archaeopteryx. Came about during this time, but also beetles and leafhoppers also existed all just coexisting together oh that makes me happy so next is the cretaceous period which lasted from 145 to 66 million years ago quote it is the third and final period of the mesozoic era as well as the longest at nearly 80 million years the cretaceous was a period with a relatively warm climate, resulting in high sea levels that created numerous shallow inland seas. These oceans and seas were populated with non-extinct marine reptiles, think of the Loch Ness Monster, um, while dinosaurs continued to dominate on land. The world was ice-free and forest extended to the poles. During this time, new groups of mammals and birds appeared, During the early Cretaceous uh, period, flowering plants appeared and began to rapidly diversify, becoming the dominant group of plants across the earth by the end of the Cretaceous period. I bet it was just beautiful. I know. God. Like, I would, if we could go back in time... I would love to send a photographer to take pictures. I don't know that I necessarily want to go because... You know, dinosaurs are a little scary, but I would love to see pictures. Well, think of, I mean, think of Avatar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Without the the human-y people. Right. Mm-hmm. Without the avatars. Without the avatars. And the, the Na'vi. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they were becoming the dominant group of plants across the earth by the end of the Cretaceous, coincident with the decline and extinction extinction of previously widespread genosperm groups so there was a i mean in in of course we're talking about millions and millions of years so we're seeing extinctions of other types of life Mm -hmm. and being replaced by by other kinds it's called evolution ever heard of it it's Uh, a theory like gravity (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, what's your favorite dinosaur? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I am a really big fan of the Lickalotopus. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> no, uh, Triceratops probably. Because I love Sarah mm-hmm. from Land Before Time. She's a good one. Yeah. She's so, yeah. sassy. and So she's a Jurassic bitch. Oh, for sure she is. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite dinosaur? I don't know, but I think it's interesting that Tricer- uh, that the um, Tyrannosaurus is not from the Jurassic period as portrayed in Jurassic Park. Uh, science Fake was news. irrelevant <laughs> when creating that movie. I have trilogy. no idea what you're talking about. Everything is Everything is checks out. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. I'm sorry. The time machine was totally legit. Was it a time machine? How'd they get back? Or no, there was a there, there was an island. There was an island. Yep, yep. It's coming back to me. I haven't seen those movies in forever. You're right. There's totally an island where dinosaurs still exist that we can go and visit and yeah. study them. So I think one of the I don't know if it was the first movie or the second one, but it was filmed on the um, island of Kauai, oh. which I've been to, and I could like oversee the mountain. Oh, that's cool. It was cool. Very, Very cool. cool. Jinx. <laughs> okay, so there's. Uh, two types of dinosaurs I found particularly interesting. One is called Amargosaurus. And this dinosaur lived during the early Cretaceous period and weighed between two and three tons, measuring about 30 feet long. Um, what makes this guy special is the prickly quills that line its spine. So there's like quills all the way down its spine. Very unique. Like you don't really see... Mm this being portrayed in the media but it's thought that it was evolved for sexual selection wait what meaning that the male uh with more prominent quills was more attractive to the ladies 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 work work (laughs) can you be like imagine people like oh my god did you see the quills on that one (laughs) gorgeous Best Go talk to him. I dare you to talk to him. <laughs> okay, so there's also the uh, I don't know how to pronounce this. this. Is terrible. Why did they do this? <laughs> okay, the concavenator, C O N C A V E N A T O R. That sounds right to me. Okay, so he was a meat eater, but he had a hump. Oh, he had a hump. This dinosaur had a triangular hump in the center of its back. And my humps, my humps. It had lovely lady lumps or just one. (laughs) So it had quill. It had quills on its forearms, which sprouted colorful feathers to attract mates during mating season. Why is there not a movie about this guy? I know. Because I would watch that. Can you imagine? He's just like this guy with a hump on his back and he's like... And I don't have like, a lot to offer you, <laughs> but I have, but would you like a, a feather? I like a like a spirit finger feather situation. Oh, I love that, that for him. That's so cute. So, but dinosaurs can be divided into specific groups. And this next portion is from the Encyclopedia Britannica. It's one long quote. Don't sue me. <laughs> so the Ornithischia were all plant eaters as far as is known. 
In addition to a common pelvic structure, they share a number of other unique features, including a bone that joins the two lower jaws and distinctive leaf-shaped leaf teeth crenulated along the upper edge. They had at least one eyelid bone? Huh. Like skull opening near the eye and in the lower jaw? Five or more sacral vertebrae and a pubis whose uh, main shaft opened upward and down. So it's penis opened. No, I just think like, like think of like our hip bones, like our birth canal Uh is like kind of down, but front. So it's just a, it's a shift in that. It's just like assuming that they're going to be on all fours. Got it. Okay. I'm with you again. Okay. So there's the Therapodia, Therapoda, unclear. This group included all known carnivorous dinosaurs as well as the birds. Oh. It's for the birds. Birds so, aren't real. Birds are rare. Uh, Seropodomorpha included in this group are well known sauropods or brontosaurus types, and their probable ancestral group, the prosauropods. All were plant eaters though their relationship to theropods, along with the fact that the closest relatives of dinosaurs were evidently carnivorous, suggests that they evolved from meat eaters, Mm. which is, of course, possible, but I never heard of that. Yeah, I haven't heard that either. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Thyrophoria is the next one. And the Thyrophoria consists mainly of the well-known Stegosauria, or the plated dinosaurs, and Ankylosauria, which was the armored dinosaurs. Those sound like the same thing. Plated and armored? Yeah. But I'm sure there's an important distinction. And I have no idea what that is. And as a paleontologist yourself. I'm Ross Geller. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm sure you could tell me, but we just don't have time. We do. We were on a break. Okay. So let's talk about the end times. All right. The book of Revelations. Here we are. Here we are. So there were some angels. Just kidding. (laughs) And uh, the three knights of the something. Round table. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Clearly, we know exactly what we're talking about. It was not only the dinosaurs that disappeared 66 million years ago at what they call the KT boundary, which is like the Cretaceous and then another complicated word that I can't say put together. Mm -hmm. So many other organisms became extinct or were greatly reduced in abundance and diversity. And the extinctions were quite different between and even among marine and terrestrial organisms. Land plants did not respond in the same way as land animals, and not all marine organisms showed the same pattern of extinction. Some groups died out well before the KT boundary, including flying reptiles, which was the Petosaurus, which Uh was the flying reptiles, um, and some sea reptiles. Strangely, turtles, crocodilians, 
lizards and snakes were either not affected or affected only slightly. Or they're not real either. Oh my God. Life is an illusion. We're all living in the Matrix mm-hmm. or in Avatar. Maybe both. Effects on amphibians and mammals were mild. These patterns seem odd, considering how environmentally sensitive and habitat restricted many of these groups are today, which is a good point. Yeah. Many marine groups, such as the molluscan amonites, or mollusks, some of them, like, died completely, but not others. It's it's interesting. Yeah. Other greatly affected groups were the moss animals, which is sad. Sure. I feel like... God may have been picking favorites. Who made it onto the ark and who didn't? That's right. Also, a number of plankton life forms, you know, other kind of microscopic guys um, did or did not, you know, survive. So a lot of people wonder, and there's a lot of speculation about what actually caused the extinction of the dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. Because we're friends. Yeah. But, like, it never really occurred to me that something survived the dinosaur extinction. Like, I I just thought of it all as kind of, like, one giant... Apocalypse? Yeah. Like... That's a good point, actually. I feel like I always heard or believed the narrative that the slate had been wiped clean. Exactly. And then we had to start essentially all over, which wouldn't make much sense. Right. So that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Thank you. Weird. Okay. So there are multiple theories. One theory is that, um, and this was an early theory, uh-huh. was that all of the small mammals ate all of the dinosaur eggs. And then they just couldn't reproduce because no more were... Were, uh, so maybe there was some type of famine, right? And then they, oh. they ate all the eggs. Okay. 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 So that's one. It's not right, but it was one. It's, it feels valid. Yeah. Um, another one was that the dinosaur, like their bodies became too big to operate their uh, small brains. Aww. So they were no longer able to keep up. That's real cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think ostriches' brains are the size of walnuts, so why they would have stuck around, I don't know. That's a good point. Another option was that the uh, plague decimated the dinosaur population. The bubonic? Not we covered bo- that recently. Not the boob. Oh, okay. Different plague. Different plague. Got it. More vintage. Uh, we like love a good retro plague. Variety. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the plague would have spread to animals... Um, and then possibly, like, due to the plague, there was also famine, and then they ate the dinosaurs. It's, like, really grasping at straws here. Yeah, sure. Starvation was another possibility that they could no longer sustain, uh, which seems unlikely, I guess, depending on whether you're plant-based, if you're a vegan dino, or if you're, like, an herbivore. <laughs> no MGOs in my diet, please. That's right. Um, a gluten-free dino. Another one was that temperatures rose, causing sperm to die during reproduction. Mm. Okay. Also, un- that feels unclear. a little more graspy mm-hmm. at straws than a few of the others. Yep. Quote The exact nature of this catastrophic event is still open to scientific debate. 
Evidence suggests that an asteroid impact was the main culprit. Volcanic eruptions that cause large-scale climate change may also have been involved, together with more gradual changes in Earth's climate that happened over millions of years. Whatever the causes, the huge extinction that ended the age of the dinosaurs left gaps in the ecosystems around the world. These were subsequently filled with the only dinosaurs to survive, birds and mammals, both of which went on to evolve rapidly. End quote. And oh, so we did. We're here. We've got technology. We've got scientists who can figure all this shit out for us. That's right. Good We've job, got Ross. Search engines to find all this material from. <laughs> <laughs> but that, my friend, is the history of the dinosaurs. Well, thank you. Man, you took it way back. I don't know that we can top history past the dinosaurs. That's a good point. I have yet to go back that far. I mean, fuck, like, that was so many millions of years ago. Yeah, I still don't know what that actually means. 251 years ago. That's easier for me to understand. Than what? You said 251 years ago? You million meant years ago. Yeah, you meant 251 million. But oh, you, I forgot the million? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Thank you for putting it on a smaller timeline for me, though. That helps. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Isn't but, there a video, like, if all of existence happened in 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 a day like what it was 23.7 hours would have been like prehistoric and dinosaurs and then like the last little smidge is us Mm -hmm. yeah we mean nothing no we're super inconsequential (laughs) but in the best way sure like we can all you know that might be too that's too deep i don't know i feel like the universe and whatnot will exist after us just as it existed before us that's true but we we all have a purpose carrie ann but we are not the final project no we are not evolution has not stopped oh no so Mm -mm. curious to see what the final product will be can't stop won't stop probably won't happen in my lifetime definitely not gonna happen in your lifetime my lifetime on the other hand maybe because i'm a vampire for sure vampire how old are you whatever (laughs) 17. How long have you been 17? <laughs> Hang on, little spider monkey. <laughs> All right, let's take a... Oh, we're not taking a quick break. Nah, let's just jump All right. into intersections. Let's jump into intersections. I got one. I got one, too. Extinction? Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, well, you know, also I was I was unclear and you educated me on what actual lobotomy results in because originally when you said that I was like, oh, well, death is going to be our intersection, but um now I know that people did not in fact always I mean, die. Right, 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 right. Uh, and that there could and and just the life that they lived could be much more fulfilling and um in a very small percentage yeah 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 uh i mean still horrible outcomes oh for sure um and i'm glad that the process is extinct yeah that's just a, like oh. i'm glad some dinosaurs are extinct there we go link up there yep yeah but i really just i didn't realize that people could even survive it in a way to even remember that that had happened to them yeah um yeah. No, I learned a whole lot about lobotomies and dinosaurs today. Mm-hmm. And I love that we covered two such random topics. Oh, very random. Yeah. You know, I love you. I can't think of a damn it. 
additional intersection. <laughs> if you can think of an intersection, email us or comment on our Instagram or or leave us a five star review. Oh, please on Apple leave Podcasts. Us, please leave us a five star review. Let us know what intersection you found. That would be fun. That would be so fun for us. It would be so great. It would be fun for you too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, we are going to cut it there because that's 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 the thing. That's all, folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. We love you all. So, so much. You know what? Tag your favorite dinosaur in this <gasps> post. Oh, that's such a cute idea. Whether it's your parent or <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Your pet chicken. Your pet chicken. Oh, man. Hashtag chickens are dinosaurs, but birds Hashtag aren't real. birds aren't real. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We love you all. Thank you so much for listening. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcasts Without an Audience. Find us on social media at Pod Without an Odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanaud at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.